There's a growing movement today of people who are deconstructing their faith, even some to the point of leaving the faith altogether. Why is this movement happening today? Is it just the spirit of the age, or is there the possibility that there is a deceptive belief that has invaded the church in recent decades that may actually be causing this movement? Let's see what the Bible says about that. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad that you clicked on this video. That's going to be such an awesome episode. Yeah. Uh, if you would, go ahead and like and subscribe to our channel. We have podcasts come out every Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock. Uh, and please comment uh, anything, any questions, any stories, uh, or email us. We, we would love to talk about this. Yeah. All right. So recently, uh, a docu-series came out on Amazon called Shiny Happy People. Mm -hmm. It follows the story of the Duggar family, the 19 kids and counting family. Story is it's uh, disturbing to watch. It's hard mm -hmm. to watch. It's emotional. Uh, I wasn't ever really a Duggar fan. I, not that I don't like them. I'm just yeah. saying I never watched their shows. Yeah. And You're not a reality it, TV show. I'm not into fanatic. all that or them. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but what caught my attention in the docu-series was the fact that they were deeply involved in a ministry called the Institute and in Basic Life Principles, led by a man named Bill Gothard. So this is where the connection comes in for me because mm -hmm. I instantly became intrigued because I also followed uh, Bill Gothard and that ministry in the early years of my faith from 84 to 89 for sure. I was in many of his conferences and seminars, and then over the next almost two decades of my life, I would operate and live with those yeah. principles that I learned during that mm -hmm. time. And I know the docu-series, some um, think it it's more of a hit job on Christianity or on homeschoolers. I have a different take on all of it. I, I tend to see it more from people who were inside the Bill Gothard ministry and the impact it had on their life. And uh, I saw so many connections all of a sudden, and memories were brought up. Sometimes it was hard to watch. Sometimes after I watched it, I couldn't go to bed till very late at night. Yeah, just so many thoughts and realizations that were coming to my mind. So, this yeah. is not today all about Bill Gothard because I yeah. recognize that maybe a large percentage of people who are watching or listening have no clue who Bill Gothard is. It's not Bill yeah. Gaither, the, <laughs> the Southern Gospel singer. Yeah. It's not him. Yeah. Um, just let me give you just a little bit, and I promise you, I'm not gonna. We're not gonna camp out on Bill yeah. Gothard today. It's not the point. Yeah, because our goal for today's podcast is to talk about shame based Christianity yeah. more than Institute and Basic Life Principles or IBLP. We may reference it as exactly. that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not about that, but again, just before you go into that, yeah. the, I think it's important to, to say how much this even impacted your life. Cause it was, yep. you were going to the conferences for only again, like maybe five or so years, but mm -hmm. it impacted your young Christian life, yep. your marriage, your yep. parenting, yep. your, um, ministry. your work. Yeah. Your mm -hmm. ministry, the way that you thought your personal yep. life, your yep. emotional, you know, all of that stuff. Yep. And so yep. I just want to capture the full essence of what it was. Yeah, because where we're headed today is toward a line that says shame-based Christianity is part of the cause for deconstruction that's happening today Yeah, that is rampant about people who have been in church, mm -hmm. even very notable people that we yeah. you may watch follow uh, online. So mm -hmm. let me give you a quick overview of Bill Gothard and the Institute and in Basic Life principles. So 
he began in 1974 with this ministry. He began earlier uh, teaching and, and in ministry, but in 74, he comes up with the Institute in Basic Life Principles. And it's, it's born out of a time, 60s, early 70s, when the, the nation is in yeah. a time of crisis. There's governmental yeah. leadership that is... There's been some corruption. Mm-hmm. There's racial tension. Yeah. Sex, drugs, uh, rock and roll. Yeah. All that. Uh, yep. Yeah. I'm not talking about today, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's war abroad. There's economic issues. Uh, there's hippies. The family is breaking down. Divorce is happening. And so up against all of that, he comes out with this ministry, which you know Christian parents are drawn to. It was like, I don't want my kids to go down that path. Yeah. What can I do to help rescue them? And it comes at it from this idea of here's how we can change our families, change our lives, and change the future, change our nation. So, of course, let's let's do this. So uh, you go to the conference, which was a six-day conference, um, four nights and two full days. So sure. it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday from, say, 7 to 9 plus um, p.m., uh, and then on Friday and Saturday, you're there from nine in the morning till four in the afternoon. And wow. what's so fascinating to look back on is there was no music, there were no videos, there were no wow. fancy lights, uh, there was no hype music, there was none of that. It was a, a guy and an overhead projector, and that's it. So you'd walk in and like whenever the, it was time to start, he just like strolled up on stage. He and just said, walked out and said, "Welcome, hey, here we go." Welcome. That's and crazy. you you had a, a little book that you pulled out. I brought a lot of the. This is a small percentage of the resources, but you would you would take uh, that I have. Um, you would take this notebook, and he would begin talking, and you would write notes. Yeah, and it was fascinating to me at the time. There's so much information yeah. about life. I mean, I'm I'm relatively new Christian, yeah. and he's talking about. Every area of life. He's talking about how to accept God's design for your life. He's talking about the principles of authority and understanding God's structure for that. He's talking mm-hmm. about principles for responsibility and, and even how to suffer as a believer and principles of ownership and how to be free and uh, in cry, free in, in your habits and mm-hmm. uh, and how to have success in your life when it came to your spiritual walk. So I'm like, hey, yeah. I'm all in on that. Those, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want some of that. Yeah, and especially in a time when there were not many books on this to- on these topics, especially not many books all put together in one package and delivered to yeah, you. Yeah, here's a here's a whole life. Yeah. Here's a whole way of living. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's there's no internet. Yeah. You know, back in the day. So yeah, it's like if you wanted to gain information about this, like you're either hardcore digging in your Bible and you're trying yeah. to do all of these Bible studies to some degree and you're yeah. having to rely on those who are around you yep. to help pour in. You're not just like, oh, let me just Google mm-hmm. what is how does God want me to live my life? <laughs> yeah. And then here's you know, right. fifty pages on Google that you could find answers to. But yeah. So here's a single resource, a guy. Yeah. Um, and he's talking all about life, every area of life. He's talking about yeah. marriage and parenting and business and government and your personal Finances life and, and, all that. Yeah. and all from a biblical, yeah. seemingly biblical standpoint. Mm-hmm. And it's all with the premise of if you will do these things, God will bless your life. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting is it actually began, it was called the Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts. <laughs> so it was about if you could resolve uh, these seven major conflicts in your life, then you would experience God's favor and blessing. So uh, there's wild appeal, uh, not just for me, but for thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people uh, as this 
as his seminar ministry began to grow, people loved it. Parents loved it. Leaders loved it because it gave them a framework for organizing their home, <clears throat> building their churches, restructuring their their business, their life, their community, and it became wildly famous. Yes, with the main principle of here is what authority is, how mm-hmm. authority works, mm-hmm. and here the answer to basic youth conflicts is authority. Yeah, yeah. essentially one of them. Yeah, one of mm-hmm. them. Yeah. yeah, and it plays well for everybody in places of authority. Yeah, it, it has a different dynamic that says, we'll talk about today that it that it causes in everybody that's under the authority. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll, we'll get to some of that. Yeah. So. It's so successful that he um, he begins to have a, an advanced seminar, and it's a it's a repeat of the time structure. You know, these four days or four evenings, and then two full days. But now he's taking these principles to the next level, and so they're more in depth, they're more detailed. So now we're talking about spiritual gifts, and which is fascinating to me at the time. <clears throat> he's talking about marriage and how a husband and wife can relate to one another, what their home ought to be like, how to raise your children, uh, the importance of large families and God's purposes for large families, how to educate your children specifically at home, and then which leads to his own homeschool curriculum that yeah. begins to be promoted from his uh, ministry. They talk about music <clears throat> and one of the areas he spent quite a bit of time on that i I wrestled with. I tried. I tried to buy into it. I struggled with it. Couldn't buy into it. And he he had a very very conservative view toward music to the point that anything that had a distinct beat was considered evil. That you know that kind of stuff stirred up your flesh. And he went in on what he thought was the kind of the science behind it, even and to the point of you know you could have songs that had the emphasis on beat one and three but you couldn't have songs that had the emphasis on beat two and four because that stirred up the flesh and if that stirs up the flesh then man you're in trouble you know they yeah. sing you know you're you're lusting and yeah. doing all kind of evil so um he dealt with that talked about the importance of removing those kind of songs from your life and your house you couldn't even have the records in your house if you or tapes mm-hmm. if you had either of those things even in your house you were inviting evil in so yeah. you know what did i do i, I burned them because that's what yeah. the invitation was you know really you should you should burn those things if you could if you'd remove those influences out of your life and out of your house then, you, the yeah. promise is you won't have any more lustful thoughts why would you not? <laughs> Why <laughs> you know, would you not? I'm 20 years old and, you know, I'm like, let's do this. Yeah. And so I did. I burned lots of money up in my dad's yeah. fire can and um didn't work. Yeah. So uh, there's a beginning to be just a little bit of frustration for me in it. There, there's a lot of talk in the advanced seminar about the importance of modesty and dress and mm-hmm. Um, if you were going to be a part of the homeschool program, you weren't to have any facial hair. You had women had to wear long dresses. Women were um, told that um, your your dress uh, or your modesty or lack of modesty is the reason men sin. Yeah, and so it's on you. And uh, man, that's a whole other discussion that we yeah. will eventually get to. Mm-hmm. So the the ministry is growing there he begins to build training centers across the nation it turns into a national movement it actually becomes an international movement people are serving at the bill gothard headquarters oh. at our church we had a, at the time we knew a lot of people who were involved even to the point of being at the headquarters oh. and who knew bill gothard and it yeah. seemingly is is making progress you yeah. know 
as a ministry. Yeah, I mean, it all sounds so incredible whenever you have this guy stand up and say, hey, you want to know what God has for your life and where yeah. where you <clears throat> can be obedient and he will bless you because of it, you know, and, and hey, we're going to make an impact in the world. We're going to change yeah. families. We're going to change, you know, hearts. Yeah. We're going to change, you know, nation, all this yeah. kind of stuff. We're going to change the world through this by the family. Yeah. Show that me, sounds incredible. Show me the resources and I'll buy them. Yeah, exactly. That's, I, just, I did. Yeah, thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. Like, mm. You could most likely, everyone has someone in their family that probably burned records because <laughs> they believed that it would be a solving of a problem. Yeah. And what you know, maybe they were a part of Bill Gothard's stuff. Maybe they weren't. You maybe know, they weren't. but it goes to show the impact that his teaching had. So, <clears throat> with all of those things, it sounds so incredible. With the idea of you know, God will bless you, and the nation will be, you know, a Christian nation. All this kind of stuff. Right. What was the impact that? Because I mean, obviously, here we are in 2023. Yeah. We're not in a Christian nation. All that stuff yeah. was being taught. Right. What's the deal? So, uh, you move into the 90s and. Um, we're beginning to see now some of the results of this kind of ministry as people have taken it back into their homes and starting to raise their children in it. And we're watching it happen um, among Christians that we knew. So um, this is where there begins to be some struggles that happen and some issues that maybe some of the things that were being talked about and promised are not actually happening. Hmm. So we began to see um, children especially the older kids, as they got into their teen years, began to see some of them rebelling. And so the promise was that here's how to prevent your children from rebelling, but that's what is actually happening. And so you kind of count them as one-offs, you know, or, well, that's just that kid, you know, or, boy, that's the power of the world right there. Yeah. Well, it turns out they didn't burn all their rock music. That yeah. was a problem. Yeah, that's exactly. why that kid went astray. Yeah. So you get into all of this, children are starting to rebel. Um, people are not actually finding freedom from their habitual sins. And again, the easy thing is, well, that's because you didn't, didn't thoroughly cleanse your home or you didn't follow every step that was necessary. Um, stories begin to emerge of, of people that you knew that had long-term hidden sin patterns, destructive. And so you begin to see some marriages fall apart and you begin to see conflict happening in churches you're like wait a minute yeah. there's so much promise here yeah what is happening it seems yeah. like the very thing that was promised is not happening but the, often the you know the finger point went back to well it's because they yeah. didn't either obey fully yeah. or didn't purge their home fully or purge their heart fully yeah it's because they didn't do enough bottom line yeah so, I mean, all that stuff is happening, and we, you see it like on the Duggar show in yeah. 2000, starting 2008, goes to 2015, all these similar stories come out. Yep. Again, that's a whole other topic. But uh, th so that's kind of like nationwide what's happening with the IBLP yeah. teachings and all that kind of stuff. But how is it personally affecting you? Like, what yeah. is, what's the impact that it's having on your life? So, um, you know, you, uh, that's in the mid 80s. You get into late 80s, um, I'm starting to struggle now with some anxiety issues. They just come out of, I don't know where, um, panic attacks, some depression, and just this um, disabling fear mm -hmm. uh, at the time. And I don't know why. I don't know why this is happening. I can't. It just seems like some, this, this random thing that's happening to me. Mm -hmm. And then again, 
um, people around that I know, I, I'm seeing other things happening. We're, we're watching that happen where marriages are struggling, individuals falling into sin, yeah. those kind of things. Parents are frustrated uh, at their children and the program, mm-hmm. and um, it, it's causing a lot of questions for me, especially. I'm like, what what is going on here? Why am I struggling with this? Is this spiritual? Is this emotional? Is this mental? Do I have some kind of physical yeah. imbalance in my yeah, life exactly. and what's going on? Exactly. And I turned to some medication to help with some of that for a little while, but it's not just me. The IBLP is not doing well either. The attendance mm-hmm. later uh, in late late nineties, early two thousands, it begins to decline. There actually comes a point in the early two thousands where Bill Gothard, he's aged, but he begins to be accused of some sexual impropriety, and the accusations they're not just one person. No, they're they're more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there begins to be a large exodus from the whole program. And you're watching, for me, I'm watching what I had built much of my understanding of Christianity up yeah. upon. It's starting to crumble. Yeah, the way of living is like yeah. he taught, you know. Right. So I'm thinking, what, what in the world is happening? Yeah. What, what's going on yeah. with me? What's going on with these people around me? Mm-hmm. And uh, it called into question a lot. Yeah. It's like, are you telling me it's just because not everyone here burned all their rock records? You know, <laughs> right. like, yeah. What really is? Yeah. It, you know? What What is going on here? And and I I don't know the connection at the time. So now here we are. I'm 30 years removed from the last seminar I attended. Uh, Heather and I attended together. We were actually dating at the time. <laughs> Went to the advanced seminar, and um, so now I look back over what was taught, what I believed, and what I did. I've looked at the, the, the Bill Gothard ministry, the legacy, the fact that here was this massive movement that lasted one generation. I, I don't know of many, if any, um, who the children of those parents said, yes, I want to raise my kids that way. I want to walk in those ways. It, it worked for one generation, and there's not much that follows after that. So you look at all of that. I look at what I've walked through. Um, I look at what I did, and I, I've come to some conclusions, uh, at least a perspective that I have at this point in my life. And so I look back on all of that, and I look at what he presented, and I see now that there was perhaps um, a silent but very vocal giant he was maybe not silent, but he was camouflaged, maybe if you will, in inside of a very um, active ministry that became popular. Here's here's some things that I, I see now. One, uh, Bill Gothard was great at painting the picture and telling the stories of what could happen if you followed all these principles. That was the thing that was so wildly engaging. Was you know he would tell a story about uh, there was a family and this this. They had a, a child that uh, began to be mentally disconnected, emotionally disconnected, that just lived up in their room. And they were socially unable to be involved with others, didn't want to leave their room. And the parents prayed and didn't understand what was going on. And then then they found out that one of the younger siblings had been keeping some uh, rock music of their own to their uh, to themselves and not told anyone. And then when they finally found out that that's what it was, it was in their house, they went out and burned it. And then they this other child that was upstairs that had been disconnected and removed all of a sudden came walking down in a completely clear frame of mind. 
wow, that's incredible. Like, <laughs> Why would you not? <laughs> exactly. And there were just story after story of that, whichever principle yeah. it was, here were stories that yeah. were just like, oh my, I want mm-hmm. that. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I did. I wanted all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the focus on the ministry also, uh, it became uh, often focused on the external. There was mm-hmm. so much about appearance, about how you conducted yourself, which there's not there's nothing wrong necessarily yeah. with uh, conducting yourself in, in cordial ways or even mm-hmm. you know in, in respectful ways, ways or, modest yeah, ways, all, all of that. that. There's nothing wrong with that, but the shift began to be about, or the shift was. I won't say mm-hmm. began. It was about externals more yeah. than it was internals, and, and with consequences if if mm-hmm. that was not followed. Yeah, external wasn't followed. But here was the most, I think, disturbing part that that began to come to light for me is that there was a constant theme that that permeated the teaching. And here's what it was: you are sinful and wretchedly ugly, not just before you're saved, but even after you're saved. Yeah, you still have the identity of one who is wretched and ugly and a sinner, and so therefore. You need to be continually searching your heart for evil, wrong motives, wrong thoughts, wrong words, and you need to be repenting more of that. So you follow that with you need to be obeying even when you don't want to. You need to be submitting to authority. If you don't, you're opening yourself up to the realm of Satan, and you need to serve others to prove how humble you really are and make yourself conform. You need to search your house because there could be evil things hidden in there. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Gother was the one who insisted that Cabbage Patch dolls were evil because there was a name given to them by the one who created them. And for every one of them, there was a different name that was related to some Hindu or another foreign god. And whoever's, whoever's children had that Cabbage Patch doll that child would begin to display the behaviors of whatever that God was. So whether it was bulimia or defiance or whatever. So, you know, purge your house of cabbage patch dolls, purge your house of rock music, purge your house of anything you might've bought that came from a foreign country that might've looked like a God or been, you know, uh, sacrificed to a God or, or covenanted to a God. So you, you get all of this and what it produces at the end of the day in, in, most people was this idea of I am wretched. Jesus is holy. I need to do more for him. And what that does at the end of the day is produce in people, not freedom, but shame. I am still wretched and I need Mm -hmm. to do more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jesus died for you, but you're still wretched. You're still in your sin. Yep. That's how he sees you. Yep. And then, and then, so Jesus dying for you becomes a reason you ought to feel really bad about yourself, yeah. and you ought to really try harder. You need to do this, and you need to do this. And so, I just went to um, the Gothard, Bill Gothard's website. He still has a website. He still has information out there. But on his website, <clears throat> here is a quote from him: "The only answer to winning the war between the spirit and our flesh is the daily discipline of day and night." meditation I mean that so, that summed it up for me yeah. really that's kind of how I lived I, I tried really hard and if I failed I knew well I must not be getting up early enough to read my Bible instead of 6 a.m it needs to be 5 a.m yeah. 
And Bill Gothard talked about how he got up at 3 a.m. So I'm like, I'm just not that spiritual. <laughs> and he went to but, bed at 1 a.m. <laughs> praying until but the I, But, you know, then I thought, well, maybe one day I'll be that spiritual. Yeah. You know, maybe I'll read enough, memorize enough, wow. pray enough, give enough, serve enough, witness enough, mm-hmm. know my Bible enough. I, I just need to... I'm so unworthy. Mm-hmm. I'm just so unworthy, mm-hmm. and he is worthy, and I just yeah. need to try harder. I just yeah. need to do more. So they, I think with the word meditation, just to explain, because it's not, this is in the daily discipline of day and night meditation. You know, Meditation <clears throat> to us, at least for me, whenever I hear that, I think of reading God's word and being thankful for you know what is being said in there yeah. and all this kind of stuff. What what all did meditation mean in the Gothard IBLP kind of way yeah, of thinking? Kind of in this in that I'm going to call it shame based Christianity. You go down that path. What it leads to is this need to continually be searching your heart. Okay, so you find that term in Scripture. You find in the Old Testament the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? But those are passages related to us before we are redeemed in Christ. If you if you move that over into this is who I still am in Christ, then you get this thing of where I have to continually be searching my heart because it's deceitfully wicked. Now I'm into this morbid introspection. Mm-hmm. I'm all and I conclude to begin with, I'm always a failure. I'm always a sinner. I need to search for more of the dirt that's in there. And then you know, and then you take that Old Testament verse, and the heart is deceitfully wicked, has another piece here that says, and who can know it? Mm-hmm. So now you've got this thing of, well, now everything I do is tainted. Everything I do is wrong. Everything I do has sin attached to it. And I can't even know my own motives because they're all sinful. This is this is a complete rejection of the gospel. This is a complete rejection of the fact that I made a new person in Christ. And what it leads to is more introspection. And when you say meditation, it's more of this introspection. I've got to keep searching my heart. And my prayer is from a place of defeat. And my faith is from a place of defeat. And what I bring, it's from a place of of dysfunction and, and, and sadness. And so what I need to do is more. Mm-hmm. I'm not reading enough, memorizing enough, searching my heart enough. I haven't burned enough of my records. I haven't burned enough of the evil. I haven't, you know, removed my TV, removed my facial hair, and stopped going to the movies. I haven't done enough. So, what you get is this motivation for your Christian walk that is based in your identity of shame. Yeah, because I'm not doing enough. Dang it. Yeah. I'm not enough. Ugh. Yep. This isn't working. Ugh. Yeah. Exactly. All in the name of all of the same elements that are in the gospel and in the church. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the cross. We're talking about the resurrection. We're talking about the Bible. But it's all from a push of shame. And that that way of life can never, ever work because it leads to this nonstop analysis, introspection. What it leads to is you can't sleep at night Mm -hmm. because your mind is racing. What it leads to is you can't think clearly because you're in this continual repetitive replaying of past events, trying to cover what you've done, trying to hide so that no one else sees it. All the while, more guilt, more shame. I'm not doing enough. Church becomes this beating to go to. Yeah, because by going there, you know here comes more shame coming my way. Yeah, you know? exactly. I'm and not enough. Whatever he says, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Yep. 
So no one can live under this. No one can. I don't care if you're the lost man or the safe man walking in it. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't labor under that. You weren't meant to carry yeah. that kind of weight. So for me, what this leads to, I'm convinced this is what leads to my panic attacks, depression, and, yeah. and disconnect. Because the mind and the heart, my mind and heart are racing all during this yeah. time. I'm replaying my sins. Introspection. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. horribly introspective, mm-hmm. second guessing everything, question everybody else's motives because I've got to question my motives. If yep. I can't know them, they can't know them. I need to yep. point out their motives. And it just leads to all kind of relational conflict. It relates to conflict inside me. Yep. And it needs it leads to this place for everybody. Like, I gotta have some kind of relief. Yep. This is this is horrible. Church is a beating. Faith is hard. I'm not doing enough. Shame pushes it. And no one can live in that. No. And so what you find is people will do what they have to do to get some kind of relief. And so if you've been in the church and you tried carrying that and you can't for a long time, people say, I got to have a relief. I got to get a drink. And Mm -hmm. so they turn to some ways to try to self-medicate the pain the guilt, the shame, I'll drink, they turn to drugs, or they turn to food, anything that will soothe and provide some kind of temporary cover. Like, okay, well, at least this feels good. Yeah, almost like a numbing, you know. I I feel so, my mind is racing so much, I just need to find comfort and be numbed by something. Again, that drugs, alcohol, food, I think are all right in that same vein. Yep, or... It's pornography, it's gambling, mm-hmm. it's overworking. Yeah. All those again, you you want something to try to find some sense of enjoyment or peace. Yeah. I would even say worth. Again, it's like you're told you're worthless, you're worthless, you're worthless. Yep. Well, people are gonna search for it in pornography mm-hmm. and in gambling and in yep. overworking. You yep. know. These, yep. these are I'm validated by this. My worth is yep. in this, you know. Yep. And so well, guess what? Now, you're just going to repeat this cycle again. Yep. Now, shame on you. See, yeah. I told you, you you didn't repent enough. This wicked. just proves you're deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Yeah. You just, you've been around too much sin. And then all of a sudden, it becomes all about the sin out there. Oh, it was the rock music. Yeah. Oh, it is that woman who's, yeah. whose elbow is showing. Yeah. It's her fault you lusted. And, you know, all this stuff, you just go on this path. It's now it's blaming mm-hmm. all of the things mm-hmm. that are out there. Mm-hmm. And you need to... You need to stay inside your house. You need to not have a TV. You need to not go to the movies. You need to you need to not have these magazines. You need to not whatever. You just not, 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 mm-hmm. not. And it just produces that cycle. So either people turn to some some substitute way to try to find a way out, or they turn to fake Christianity. Yeah. They end up going to church, but they say, Okay, I know I gotta do this, but I'm just gonna disconnect my life. I'm gonna have a two version of me. I'm going to have the church version of me, and then I'm going to have another version of me, and yeah. God forbid that those two worlds ever meet. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go do what I want in this world, yeah. and I'm going to, go to, I'm going to do my church thing in this yeah. world. And they, 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 they try to be alive in both. Mm-hmm. That can't work either. Yeah. No one can bear up under that yeah. for very long. It's like one's going to, I have all this shame from church, so I'm going to go and I'm going to treat my shame with finding, trying to find worth or numb this thing. And then you're like, oh, I feel so much shame. I need to go back to God. <laughs> oh, no, now yep. I hate this. It's horrible. And it's, you can't get out of the, I'm here and now I'm here and now yep. I'm here. And then they just get deeper yep. and deeper and deeper. Yep. Some people, they just they just check out. They say, I, I'm done with this church stuff. I, I'm out of here. 
Yep. And so this becomes the way they attempt to deal with the shame. And because no one can carry shame. You, you and I weren't meant to. That's why Jesus comes. And that's why he offers life to us so we can be free from it, not be burdened with more of it as a result of him. Yep. So as I've looked back again at, at what he taught, because that's disturbing. I'm talking about, you know, years I built my life upon this thing, yep. what I thought was scripture and what was God. And then, you know, people and myself and others are just imploding all mm-hmm. around. Like what is happening here? Yeah. I, I look back over the Gothard stuff, and I, I, I've distanced myself enough now over the mm-hmm. years. I look back at it, and all of a sudden, I, I get this insight, I guess, from God that says, here's what it is. Yeah. I won't say I guess. It is from God. Yeah. Here, here's what I saw as where the, the crack in the foundation started. And it was on the very first night of what, he presented in the very basic seminar. It is what the entire next days will be built on. It's what the entire ministry is really built on, if mm-hmm. you look. And it he begins the first night with what he calls the definition of grace. And his definition of grace was this, the desire and the power to do God's will. When I first heard that, I thought, I'm writing that down. I'm (laughs) underlining. Oh, yeah. Find it right here. It's in there. I promise you, it's in there. It's in all of his stuff. Uh, And so I'm like, this is this is important. This is this is this is transformative. This is life changing. I want this. I want to know how to have that. Yeah. And again, this is the second page of the workbook right here. Grace, desire, and power. God gives us to do His will based on these verses. And here's all these things. Yeah. So I'm. I'm like, this is awesome. Desire yeah. power to do God's will. Yeah. That's what everyone wants. Especially, hey, you're a believer. You want the desire and power to do God's will? Yeah. Here we go. Got it. Sounded so good. Sounded so insightful. So horribly wrong. Yeah. That is not the definition of grace. Yeah. Grace is at the foundation of our belief as Christian. Grace is at the foundation of our doctrinal positions. Yeah. We are sinners by identity at our birth. We are born into this world without hope. That is our identity. Mm -hmm. But while we were in that identity, Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And he offers us his life as an act of grace. He offers us freedom and forgiveness and hope to be received by faith. So the righteous one became sin so that the sinful one could become righteous. Yes. This is grace. Yeah. It's the undeserved favor of God. It's the it's God's riches at Christ's expense, if you want a little acronym that fits grace yeah. there. Yeah. Um, it is receiving what God has done in Christ as the full and final payment and transformative power for me so that I am changed in my identity. I am no longer who I was. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I couldn't perform into it. And we all know this because that's what the scripture says. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This is Ephesians 2.8. We we build our faith upon this. But if you rewrite that verse... With the Gothard definition, you begin to see, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. wrong here. So here it is with the Gothard definition in its place. 
For by the desire and power to do God's will, you have been saved through faith. What? I've been saved by my desire desire and power to do God's will? Okay, well, this sounds like it's on me then. Sounds like it's back on the word. The pressure's on. Now I'm back to shame-based Christianity. Then let's take some other passages. Let's take Hebrews 4.16 that says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's put in the Gothard definition. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of desire and power to do God's will. What? That's a little yep. off there. Or let's take Romans 6.14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. <laughs> Freeing, powerful passage. Let's put the Gothard definition in. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but under desire and power to do God's will. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not under law, but I'm under law. That's what it sounds like. Uh I have to. I I need to. I I should do. I'm shameful that I haven't done. Mm -hmm. Or let's take 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let's let's (laughs) put the Gothard definition in. By the desire and power to do God's will, I am what I am. I'm only as good as my desire and power to do yeah. God's will. Yeah. Again, the, the fascinating thing is the Gothard versions of these, it's like, yep, that's how those people live. That's how the people who <clears throat> yep. were imploding, that's how you were living yep. in that mindset of yep. by the desire and power to do God's will, I am what I am. Yeah. And I don't have enough of it. I need to do more of it. Yep. Uh, Romans three twenty four. Being justified freely by His grace. I'm justified freely by His grace. I am made righteous by His grace. Let's put the Gothard definition in. Being justified freely by the desire and power to do God's will. You you just you just destroy the yep. beauty of the real definition of grace yep. at this point. Yep. And there's no grace in this. There is now multiplied shame. Not enough. You're not doing enough. You failed again. Shame on you. You need to do better. You know Jesus died for you. What are you doing? You need to be really working harder. Mm-hmm. That's not grace. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the the trendy, super nice sounding desire and power to do God's will yeah. is not grace. So what is the definition of grace then? Grace is the overwhelming, free, and full gift of a right standing with God given by Jesus, received by faith. That is humbling, overwhelming, awkward, and it's supposed to be. Yeah, Grace is confidently knowing that in Jesus, I am forgiven. I am seated in heavenly places with him. I am sealed by the Holy Spirit. I'm eternally secure. I'm accepted in the beloved. I am complete in him. I am loved by the Father as though I am Jesus. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. I'm favored. I'm chosen. In fact, I have the identity now of one who is blameless and holy. That's not me saying that. That's what Scripture says. That's grace. Mm -hmm. Grace changes me. Grace gives me new identity. This is what grace is. That's not what the ministry of Bill Gothard taught. So again, to put then that definition of the right standing with God given by Jesus to us, received by yeah. faith, put that in, you know, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Yeah. By the right standing with God given by Jesus, I am what I am. Yes. 
That makes sense. Yes, it does. It fits. That's freeing. Yes, it is. It's meant to be freeing. So this, this is what the Apostle Paul was stunned by. Because before he was Paul, he was Saul. And guess what he's living under? A completely rule-based, shame-based version of faith. Mm-hmm. He's living by his own words that he, he he writes in Philippians. You know, I'm living to keep the law, and I do it. Mm-hmm. I knock the top out yeah. of it. And he says, I was the best of the best. I was the one. You know, I was all of these things. Here's yeah. my resume, basically. It, exactly. But even he can't live up under it. And so you read in the book of Acts that there's a moment where Jesus meets him, the resurrected Jesus meets him mm-hmm. um, on the road, and a bright, shining light hits him, and he is knocked to the ground. You know, you, you, in that moment, he meets Jesus, and Jesus transforms him li- his life, and no longer does he see himself as um, the one who's righteous, but he sees Jesus as righteous, mm-hmm. and, and he sees the grace, and, and Paul can't stop talking about grace after yeah. that. So, you know, I've often wondered um, about that moment where he falls to the ground. Uh, you know, was it was it strictly that he's just walking and all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, Jesus appears to him and, and he's overwhelmed by his, his goodness and he falls to the ground? Or was there a moment that Paul reached where he, he realized, I can't do this anymore. I just watched a young man, Stephen, be stoned after Paul had most likely given consent, Saul, mm-hmm. to his stoning. He's watching Jesus' followers. He's arresting them. He's watching them be persecuted. Is there something inside him that where he reaches this breaking point of, this is not working, I, I'm not resting, because mm-hmm. he would later go on to say, I'm the chief of sinners. He would recognize mm-hmm. this this dual life inside him. Does, does that finally bring him to the place where he just breaks and he falls down the road, and the light of the glory of Jesus meets him in that moment. Yeah. I don't know. It sure well, makes sense because that is what historically is what changes people. It's not shame no. that changes people. It can never change people. It's it's the goodness of Jesus that changes people up against their shame and the freedom from their yeah. shame. That is what has moved the greatest um Believers and revivalists and preachers mm-hmm. throughout history. That is what sparks revival. It's not shame based, heavy legalistic demand, but it's the freedom of the of the cross and resurrection of Jesus in the face of sin. So this is what is meant to be our motivation for living. Because now I can readily accept, yes, I I was a sinner. That was my identity but I've been given grace through Jesus and I receive it by faith apart from any work, apart from my efforts, apart from shaming myself. And I live in this new identity when I know that up against what I have been, when I recognize I am now called the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and I've been redeemed, that that causes some life to come alive in me. This is what actually causes us to be born again. This is what sparks a new heart resurrects you. This becomes now my new identity. And oddly enough, the result of that is a desire <laughs> and a power to do, to do God's, God's will. will. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, but this comes at as you recognize the full gift that's given to you. Yeah. And and so now I don't have to identify <laughs> with my old sinful nature. 
Mm-hmm. I don't have to identify as that. I don't have to identify as my urges today. I can identify as a righteous, redeemed child of God with a new heart and, and new soul in Jesus Christ. I can identify with that. I should. Yep. This is what unlocks motivation. So good. This is what unlocks it for millions over time. This is what yes. unlocks it does for me as well. It changes mm-hmm. me at this moment in my life. But shame-based Christianity, it doesn't work that way. No. Shame-based Christianity tells you you are still a sinner even after you've come to Jesus. Yeah. Shame-based Christianity says you still have a wicked heart and you can't even know your your wicked motives. That's such a um, hopeless yeah. moment. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, I'm wicked. I can't even know if I'm wicked or not. I'm probably wicked anyway. So why try? Yeah. Why? Why do anything? Exactly. On my good days, maybe I can, but I have few of them. So yeah. Um, shame-based Christianity says you should feel worse and worse about your heart and your life. Yeah. That's just horrible. <laughs> yep. Where, where's the gospel? Where's the good news in that? Yep. Feel worse about your life. You're messing up. Um, you know, shame-based yeah. Christianity says you need to really think back over every word you've spoken, everything you've ever thought, every attitude you've had. You need to replay it. You need to investigate it. You need to be introspective about it because it's all wicked. Yeah. You need to really shame yourself into obedience. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you, at the end of the day, you need to pray more, read more, fast more, serve more, go to church mm-hmm. more, and maybe, maybe you'll get enough uh, to get God's favor. Yeah, and this becomes your motivation. Yeah. Shame, shame on wow. you, shame on you for all you've done, and what that can yeah. never do is change anyone. Yeah, absolutely. Ever. Yep. It can it can temporarily produce a facade of performance or behavior. Yeah. But that can never change yeah. a heart. Yeah. Again, you may get the outward, the external, yep. you know, change like you're saying. But yep. again, like you <clears throat> said about IBLP in the past, is that it? That was totally a one generation yep. movement. Yeah, it didn't you know, work. Happened, and it did not pass on because all that happened there is a lot of external change, no internal change. Yep. Shame yourself <clears throat> into hopefully maybe feeling good about yep. maybe how God sees you. Yep. A lot of uncertainty, no confidence, no true hope, Mm-mm. just despair. And sadly, what it did is it, into that one generation, that's what they took, and that's what they passed on to their kids. Yeah, Shame, pressure, rules, conformity, obey, submit, mm-hmm. you're a sinner, you're shameful. And that's why that next generation says, I'm out. Of here. I'm, out. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah, It caused them to deconstruct Mm -hmm. before they even knew what the word deconstruct your faith Mm -hmm. meant. That's what was happening. Shame-based Christianity leads to deconstruction. Yes. It it has to. Yes. And, you know, we're not saying that those who are believers don't sin. You know, that's not not the case. However, you know, like where shame-based Christianity says, you've, you've now made it as a Christian. You have prayed the prayer. Too bad you're still a sinner and you're disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. What we are saying though is hey, you have repented, you have changed, you have turned from your ways and you will still sin along the way, but we have an advocate with the Father yes, we do. who is willing and he will forgive you. He has he forgiven has forgiven you forgiven of you. your sins. Yes. 
And so we are to live reminding ourselves of that truth yep. and saying we are seated with him in heavenly places and yep. saying I am one with Christ. And yep. all of those those truths are what guide us along our path, right? Yeah. So you know, you might think, wow, shame-based Christianity, that's a, that's a new thing that's happening yeah. then. No, it, it's been going on for a mm-hmm. long time. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's it's happening in the New Testament. It's, yeah. it's part of why the letters were written to the churches. It's why Paul writes. He comes out of that environment. He yeah. knows it. He recognizes it. And so he writes to churches who are still dealing with it. And so he writes to the Galatians. And in chapter 3, verse 10, he says, for as many as are of the works of the law. In other words, if you're still living under the shame of trying to perform your own righteousness, that you are still at your core wicked and you're trying to obey your way out of it. He says, as many are as of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. If you're still living under the the dominion power of having to obey the law and under a shame-based mentality, you are operating under a curse. You are not operating under the favor and freedom of God. You will not find freedom from your sin in that. You're operating under a curse. That's frightening. Paul's writing that to believers. He's not writing to Mm -hmm. some um, lost group, pagan pagan group. He's saying if you're trying to live under the shame-based approach to fulfilling favor with God through your performance, that's a curse. In Colossians, he'd write to that that church, that city, and say, these things, this approach of trying to live in this way, uh, indeed, they have an appearance of wisdom. They seem right. Uh, An appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion. I'm going to impose upon myself things to do to try to get to favor with God out of my shame, uh, have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, yep. faking it in front of others, pretending you're humble, mm-hmm. and neglect of the body. I'm going to do more, discipline more, fast yeah. more, read more, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You yeah. can't you can't win that yeah. way. Shame can never pull yeah. you out of habits, of yeah. temptations, of sin. But that's what that's what that era and that's what that teaching yep. pushed. Not just Gothard. No. Gothard just happened to be a, a mouthpiece for it. Yeah. It was rampant and still runs rampant in churches yep. today. This idea that if you shame people enough, if you'll if you'll lay enough heaviness on them. If you'll tell them they're sinners and tell them they ought to be doing more and tell them what they ought to be doing, it'll set them free. But Paul's clear. The scripture's clear. Mm-hmm. That has no value against the indulgence of yep. the flesh. You'll never win over the indulgences, the old desires with that approach. Yep. And it's just sad because, again, like the quote from the Bill Gothard website says, the only answer to winning the war between the spirit and our flesh is the daily discipline of day and night meditation. It's not in the daily discipline of reminding yourselves of the truth that Christ has so, yep. uh, has set you free. Yep. No, it's in you better search your heart more. You better confess more. Yep. You better do more. You better read more. Yep. More. It's just the exact opposite of this, and the fact yeah. that millions of people were impacted and were are living in this shame based way of Christianity. Yeah. Is heartbreaking. Yeah, and then behind the scenes, 
there's no victory happening. No, the, the, exactly. You know, behind behind the curtain at the Wizard of Oz is really not what you think. Yeah. There's this front that looks very religious and very righteous, but behind the scenes, ain't nobody Disgusting. winning over their no. flesh. Nope. They're exactly. stuck in their habits. So They're still addicted. Their thoughts haven't changed. Their their patterns, their behaviors, their addictions, whatever it might be, yep. really hasn't changed. There's yep. not much new going on. They they'll get beat beat themselves up for a little while to try to feel better about it and have some minor changes, but it's not really working. Yeah. Because yep. what's happening in that moment is Jesus is held up for what he did for us, but he's held up as though now see what he did for you. You really ought to be doing more for him. That's shame. Yep. shame. That doesn't free a person. That, no. that chains a person, a person yeah, instead. Exactly. And so you're setting aside the full weight of what Jesus did of being fully forgiven, completely accepted, favored, chosen, and seated with Christ. And then you're binding yourself with this, I'm just a rotten sinner. And it's this like, look, Jesus died on the cross for you. So why are you wearing a two-piece swimsuit? (laughs) (laughs) It's true. You know, Jesus died on the cross for you. So why are you... Why are uh, you still doing this? Still doing this mm -hmm. thing, looking this way, Mm -hmm. saying these things, all that stuff. Paul writes another very truth-filled, intriguing verse in a lot of these these things today in Galatians 2.21. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If it really is about me shaming myself Mm -hmm. as the motivation to do more, then Jesus really died in vain. Why'd he come here? Why'd he die? Yeah. Just well, to give you an example to feel bad about yourself? Yeah. Yeah. That just if, to say this is what yielding your rights look like. If that's all it is, then if that's Christianity, then this Christianity is no different than any other world religion yep. that pushes people with shame so and true. rules and law and the promise of more if you'll do better. That is not the gospel. And that that is setting aside the grace of God that truly frees yeah. a person from the weight, yeah. from the shame. You are no longer who you were. You don't have to live in that mm-hmm. belief anymore that you mm-hmm. are the rotten, no good sinner yeah. who is the who has caused the demise of your own life and is causing the demise of other people's life. That may have been true before you came to Christ, but that's not who you are in Jesus Christ. Shame based yeah. Christianity fills people with the fear of failing. You're just all the time on the edge. You're one sin away from your life totally being wrecked. And you fear that. You live in this fear of I'm going to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. I'm going to think the wrong thing, have the wrong attitude. There's going to be this some secret thing hidden in my heart, some secret thing hidden in my house, and it's going to just cause the whole thing to come crashing down. Mm. Shame-based Christianity is driven by the fear that God's opinion of you is up and down. That some days he's for you, some days he's against you. He's he's uh, he loves me, he loves me not mm-hmm. kind of thing. There's never any sense of security and stability and permanence and identity mm-hmm. change. Shame based Christianity operates from your identity being wicked, as we've discussed. Mm-hmm. Shame based Christianity has you working hard to try to be spiritually impressive. Yep. toward others. You, you've got to keep the front up. You've got to keep the the appearance because this is this is how you win. 
You do yeah. do more. That gets you there. Shame pushes you to that, but it never, ever works. No one can bear up under that pressure yeah. of trying to be good enough, pay off enough, carry the guilt driven by yeah. the shame. And again, I like we just cannot overemphasize this point. We've we've been talking about the idea of this podcast for for a little while now, and and that we've said that line so many times. And so I know, like, for the person that's listening to that to that line, it may be brand new to you, and it may be relieving to you, or it's like, wow, finally, someone said it. Someone said what yeah. I've been feeling. You know, again, yep. just to restate it again, no one can bear the pressure of trying to be good enough yep. for decades for years for months for days you can't bear that right you You can't bear the pressure of paying off your sin it's impossible yep you can't bear the pressure of carrying your guilt or being driven by shame like it's impossible it will drive people out and it will drive people insane to and and to deconstruct yes i think well everything i believe is a is a shamble i think and, and yeah. yes, you're right. Yeah. Because you can't live under that. Yeah. So this is what causes more guilt, more shame, more dysfunction, more failure. Yeah. This is why people in the middle of all that turn towards self-medicating or the double life. They yeah. split, yeah. split their life, the disconnect, the departure, because no one can live in that yeah. long term. And they say, I can't do this. I need an out. Exactly. You know, so many people see hypocritical Christians Mm -hmm. of they're saying one thing, but their life is upside down from what they're actually saying. That's what that is. And that's why people say, I can't do that. That's not real. Mm -hmm. I see that trajectory in my life. I'm out of here. Scripture points to this. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Romans 8, 12. We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, I know uh, I always heard that verse in terms of, yep, if you live according to the lust and all these greedy things, you will die. But it also is true. If you live according to the path of trying to shame yourself into favor with God, you will die. Yep. It leads to death. There is no life in it. Now, mm-hmm. uh, Bill Gothard was not the only one teaching this no. um, approach. Uh, it has permeated lots of churches. Mm-hmm. Um we hear from people that are in their 20s today who have no clue who Bill Gothard was. Their mm-hmm. parents don't know who Bill Gothard was, mm-hmm. but they have operated off of this same idea, this yeah. same deception yep. that the way to life is through shaming myself. Yeah, into, you're wicked, you're terrible, you better yeah. do better. <clears throat> yep. Um, so back in the day, again, back in the 80s, 90s, there's another ministry that travels around to churches, Life Action Ministries, that is, uh, a, you know, Gothard 2.0, basically, at the church level. And they came basically with that same message. A lot of their handouts look the same. Um, a lot of their messages, experience, they would come for two-week revivals in your church. Um, there were some good things that were said. There were some good things I learned during those times. But I'm telling you, what came with it was this bottom line of, you are desperately wicked, and you need to search your heart, and you need to search your life. And so there would be long prayer times of just spiritual 
introspection and morbid introspection, yeah. looking and begging yeah. and hoping God would forgive you and you could somehow be clean enough. We would take spiritual inventories. It was like, you know, six page inventory of every area of your life, just walking through it, having to answer these questions about these areas of your life, was there sin in them or not? And sin lists, you know, are you practicing these sins in your life? Uh, our staff would meet with their staff and it was just it was just a beating. I, I just I never enjoyed those because it was just this horribly heavy, introspective and um, moment of trying to somehow get out of my shame to yeah. feel spiritual. Yeah. You know? And again, on this side, it's like, well, I don't know why I had so much anxiety and panic attacks. <laughs> where did all those panic attacks come from? All I did was, That's where. All I did was hate myself for this long. All yeah, I did was hate myself, distrust God, and think it's all on me to try yeah. to earn my way to him. Yeah, but of I course. Why, I don't know why I was stressed. That's where Obviously. panic attacks, anxiety, sleepless nights, mm-hmm. racing minds, mm-hmm. fear, all of that, and, and, yeah. and many other things. That's where addictions mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, pornography addictions and split living and mm-hmm. disconnect and mm-hmm. and and even deconstruction is where it all comes yeah. from. And yes. So again, to the person watching, for the person that's experiencing those things, what, what if that shame-based Christianity, the, the Christianity that you know, what if that is more of the cause of what's going on in your life than you think it is? You know, what if it's what if it's not the rock records in your house? But yeah. It may be the way of thinking, you know, yeah. and that there is a different way of thinking. Yeah. So um, those aren't the only two ministries out there. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, carry it up into definitely it started in the nineties. It's known as crew now, but campus crusade for Christ Uh, in the two thousands. And even I'm pretty sure up until today, they are still very much on the, you know, good intentions of let's get people to do the right thing, but done with the motivation of shame done with the motivation of, uh, you know, do better basically. Right. And so another huge topic that, again, this could be another podcast, hopefully maybe one day we'll do this, but talking about purity culture, you know, that was a huge part of Campus Crusade for Christ, especially mm-hmm. 2000s, 2010s. It was this idea, again, good good points, good principles, mm-hmm. similar to Bill Gothard things, you know, yep. of, yep. hey, <clears throat> this, is, this can revolutionize a nation, you yeah. know, but done with the intention of shame, you know, right. the... Don't have sex before marriage. That's great, but shame on you if you, anything looks anything like that in your relationship. You right, know, right. there was a book that came out called "I Kissed Dating Goodbye" by a uh, guy, Josh, Josh Harris, mm-hmm. and uh, he again now has just come out in the last three years. I want to say as he's you know gay and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Again, I would attribute that to you cannot live and bear that much shame you're going to seek it you're going to seek yeah um something to fill that void yeah because the 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 premise was um you know at your core you're rotten yeah and here are some things you better be doing if you if you don't do these things you're going to mess up your life and mess up other people so you need to make sure you do all of these things when it comes just court you know yeah don't, don't date just to date and you better be serious and you better be ready for marriage and do these things whenever you're dating. Yeah. All these. Uh, don't, don't do this. Don't go here. Don't see this. Don't wear this. Yeah, exactly. And, and so all of the don'ts outweighed anything else. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what the focus became is the things to not do and things that will, uh, don't do these things or else you will. And so if that's all that someone's hearing is don't do all these things and they don't know where to go with it. It's just like, well, right. I see everything that's wrong in my life and 
that's all I have a focus on now. Yeah. You know? And, and so, I, I don't want my life to turn out a wreck. I don't yeah. want my husband to leave me. I don't want my wife to leave me. Exactly. I don't want, you know, I have a divorce two years into marriage. I, yeah. I don't, don't, don't. So I won't, 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 yeah, you know, kind exactly. of thing. But exactly. now, now again, you're operating off of, even though those might've been good ideas and ideals, you're not operating off of an identity that's been transformed exactly. in Christ. Yes. You're operating off of a fear of what will happen if you don't perform a certain mm-hmm. way. Yeah, like again, you you get like a book that also came out in the 2000s called When Sinners Say I Do. It's a mm-hmm. book getting ready for marriage. And it's this idea of, hey, look, you are you know just absolutely a wreck. You are mm-hmm. deceitfully wicked. No one can know you. Right. But here's how you just handle life <laughs> with a partner. That's essentially what it is, yeah. you know, and... It's, it sounds comical because we've just uh, been sad. going on so much of a thing yeah. uh, here uh, uh, that's opposed to that. But yeah. that was a popular book that came out. And so, yeah. you know, no one is teaching the message of here's how God made you as a young man or young woman. Mm-hmm. And here's how to pursue God in this way, you know, or here's how you've been set free in Jesus Christ. Yes. Here's what he has for you. Yes. Here's the power of a marriage that looks like Jesus Christ. Yes. Not fear of you're going to mess it all up, but out of the promise of what he has for you. Yes. Set people free with truth. Yes. Help them see who they are redeemed and accepted and sealed. Yep. That has far more power yes. than the fear of messing up. Yep. Again, just like recently we did a, a youth series here talking about digital Babylon and we talked, we could have talked all about the horrors of smartphones and social media and all this kind of stuff. But instead we chose to focus in on identity. Yeah. Who are you? What are you going to do with your life? What is your purpose? That's, that's what's missing in all of these teachings. That's true. That, that has the power to keep someone from choosing sin. Fear of what's out there, rules and laws against what's out there won't ever do that. It does not have yes. power over mm-hmm. the indulgence of the flesh. Yep. So uh, it happens, though, today. it's 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 been prevalent over decades, centuries. It, it it also still happens today in churches, in people that may have never heard of Life Action, uh, Bill Gothard, whoever. Ooh, it's still so it's a premise that's out there. It's a belief. And and so in, in those churches, what you'll find is sermons designed to guilt people into service. It doesn't free people to understand who they are in Christ, but it guilts them based on the fact they're still sinners who need just, you know, some hard-hitting messages to call them out of their shame or to push them, I'm sorry, in their shame to mm-hmm. do more mm-hmm. instead of freeing them from their shame. Uh, what you'll find is worship that is sad in the in those settings and, and usually guilt-inducing. Uh, you'll find uh, communion experiences that are more about um, you better make sure you repent of every sin, uh, you know, because they take the Corinthians passage and it just terrifies you because if you don't do it properly, you know, some of you are are weak and sick and you're going to die. It's a complete misunderstanding of that passage. Uh, Instead, it's talking about if you don't take communion in the reality and the, the realization of what Jesus has done to set us free, then you'll be sick and die because yeah. you're operating under shame again. It leads to soul consequences and physical consequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll find uh, experiences in in a shame based Christianity where the the worship may be emotional, but it's emotional because of guilt. It's not it's not emotional because of freedom and of joy and of love. And the overall message usually in shame based Christianity is Jesus is good. You are not. Shame on you. You ought to do better. 
that there's no gospel in that. There's there's shame in that. And so I think what now what we're seeing is people on the other side of that who come along and, and shame-based Christianity causes this result. It causes people to question their salvation. <clears throat> well, maybe I'm not saved because I did sin yesterday, and I, sometimes I really don't want to follow God. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm not saved. It causes people to not have security in their faith. It causes people to second-guess every decision, every word they spoke, every action they've ever had. Mm-hmm. It causes people to live in fear that they've committed or will commit the unpardonable sin. It causes people to fear communion and prayer and groups and worship. Yeah. <clears throat> it causes people to not have joy in their faith. Mm-hmm. It causes people to have more of a duty approach to Christianity. Well, you just have to do it. That's just what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, causes people to always feel bad about who they are. It causes people to feel bad about their level of commitment. I know I'm not doing enough. I ought to be doing more. It causes people to all they can think about is shaming themselves into obedience. And that never, ever nope. works. And it will break eventually. It will. Now, sadly, that stuff spills out of churches and it spills into homes too. Because if mm-hmm. that's how you live your relationship to God, that is how you will live your relationship to your spouse or to your children, yeah. or to your coworkers, or to your neighbors. So now um, we could spend a whole podcast on this. Maybe we will at some point. How this stuff show up in a home? Well, now when you want to see change happen, either from your spouse or children, guess what you're going to turn to? Shame and guilting that spouse or family member into doing something. You use guilt to try to get them to obey or perform or to serve. It can't be just out of love. It has to be from guilting them. And you always then assume the worst about them and their motives because that's what you assume about yourself. You always think the worst of others and why they're doing what they're doing. Oh, there must be some secret motive. They're probably doing this because of this. And everyone has the worst intentions. Um, You tend to think in terms of <clears throat> what people need are just more corrective. Someone just needs to tell them this, that, and that. You know, you need to straighten them out. Yeah. There's rarely praise. There's rarely encouragement because they are always thinking about what they ought to be doing more of. And so they're usually thinking about what everybody else ought to be doing more yeah. of. Okay. So, so <clears throat> with everything we have talked about all the way into that, and you saying you had followed Bill Gothard for roughly 20 <clears throat> years yeah. so or so, what is it that finally brings you out of following the big old red books over here yep. and into a different way of life? So you get to the early 2000s. I know a lot of these people, and I'm thinking, I'm going to help them out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I picked up a book called Breaking the Bondage of Legalism because they need that. <laughs> and I began to read this book, and I realized I'm the one that needs it because I'm the one who's been walking in shame-based legalism. I'm not just trying to keep rules. I'm trying to keep them because at the core, I'm a wicked sinner. I'm not new in Christ, walking in love for what he's done for me. I am saved, but man, I'm not doing enough. So this book begins to change everything for me. It shines the light on the reality of grace of what I have received in Christ. Mm-hmm. And Not the all, desire and power. <laughs> <does it. laughs> 
all of those shackles of guilt and my identity being rooted in a wicked sinner begin to fall off. And I, I begin to walk in some freedom from some of that. And it's very freeing. It's, wow. it's transformative for me at this moment in, in, in these early 2000s. About the same time, uh, which is no mistake or coincidence, uh, I've been in ministry for many years at this point, but at this point, God puts a desire in me to pastor. I'd just been in assistant roles up to this point. But now uh, I'm on staff at Old Villa Road Baptist Church, and God puts a desire in me to pastor. <clears throat> and I don't know how that's all going to happen. The, the staff, pastor, and the church are gracious to me and some others in the church, and we start a Saturday night service uh, called Encounter. And it was designed <clears throat> with that message in mind of helping free people by the message of grace. Mm-hmm. And uh, God begins to bless it, <clears throat> so much so that the church, in, in an even greater act of graciousness, says, we want to send you out, and you plant a church with this message. And so um, we had the help of a lot of people who were more than gracious to us. God blessed us through that. We started a church in Waxahachie mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> designed or with the intent to help those who had been burned in or bored by church and really had maybe struggled through failure in their life mm-hmm. and uh, shame in their life. And this is all new to me uh, at this point. I'm trying to walk in this new uh, understanding of grace, yeah. and it's very freeing. <clears throat> it's changing things across the board in my life. Short story over a long period of time is that I swing too far uh, out into this realm of grace <clears throat> and not helping people receive that grace by faith and internalize it and know how to walk in it. Um, and it begins to be um, that the message of grace is, well, you can do whatever you want because there's grace for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it it doesn't, that's not freeing people. It's putting them into even more bondage yeah. and more failure. On the opposite side of the spectrum. <laughs> yes, on the other end, which is another story in and of itself. And so that church, for that reason and, and other reasons, begins to struggle. It's ultimately God's purpose. He has a plan. That church comes to an end, and God opens another door to begin a church, to merge with a church here in Old Villa, and we become vertical church. And so now, um, based on what I've walked through, on one side of legalism Mm -hmm. and on the other side of this license, if you will, we come back now with a different approach. There is grace, and we are called to receive it by faith, to internalize it. It's not just a a blanket that's thrown out yeah. to um, give you salvation and now go live according to your urges. It is freedom given to you in Jesus Christ that unlocks in you a new set of desires and urges mm-hmm. to really desire and power to do God's will. Mm-hmm. And so this becomes the the rally cry for Vertical Church and what we're doing now is <clears throat> I'm, I'm committed to, I don't want to, manipulate, guilt, or shame people. Not even just, I don't want to, but that is not going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. Right. We we are committed to that here. I, 
my family is here with me, and so they they've seen the history of it, and so we're all committed to this along with others. <clears throat> we're committed. We're not going to do that. We're gonna we're gonna help people understand that apart from Christ, we are sinners in our identity, but in Jesus Christ, we are set free. Mm-hmm. And you show people who they are in Christ, help them walk in that, and use that as your motivation. That his love motivates us, not shame motivating us. Freedom and the desire for, because of what he's done for us, now it starts to come alive. And we help people understand that. Now we start seeing results. Yeah. We start, we're eight years in here and it's happening. Mm -hmm. Things that, some things I haven't ever seen in ministry before. We're seeing people who are alive in a different way than I've seen in worship. It's not plastic. They're not yeah. just throwing their hands up and you know dancing around because it's Sunday morning pressure mm-hmm. or trying to somehow get God's favor. Yeah. It comes out of a genuine place of worship. And it might be the, the man who's standing still, uh, who's silently weeping and worshiping, or it might be the man who's, or the woman whose hands are up or, or they're down on their knees and they're sincere, genuine worship before mm-hmm. God. Uh, we're seeing marriages transformed by this. Yeah. Uh, where there had been strife and conflict and comparison and and anger now all of a sudden there's reconciliation and there's restoration and there's new life and there's laying down your life for one another out of genuine desire yeah. not no, forced yeah. yeah and not done by shaming them for not acting no. in the way that they're acting no. they should be acting uh, we're seeing parents love their children in new ways mm-hmm. not not having to discipline them heavily. There's there's still need for discipline, but it mm-hmm. comes out of a very different place and helping them understand who they are in Christ. And we're seeing children and young people filled with joy. They're not uh, oppressed. They're not fearful of their parents. They're not blank-faced. They are alive and vibrant. They're mm-hmm. asking questions about their faith, and they're wanting to learn. Uh, we're seeing a new generation come alive that that love that love the Lord. They love the church. And they 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 come out of guilt. Uh, I talked to some folks recently who said, "Man, we love coming to Vertical because when you walk into the room, there's this sense of expectation that God is going to move." Yeah, I love that. Yeah. There's not a sense of walking in with dread. Yeah, there's not a sense of walking in of shame. There's an expectation yeah. that God is here and God is going to move. God's going to speak and transform a life. This is the so kind good. of stuff we're seeing. We're seeing people. Uh, break free from long-held patterns of sin, yep. uh, yeah. addictions, and not because of shame. <clears throat> no, not because we're shaming them for walking in an addiction. Or exactly. All of this is happening because they're finding freedom in Christ, and so we're convinced and are persuaded that there is a giant in the land today, and that giant has the voice of shame, yeah. and he is shouting it into the culture, and he's shouting it even into churches. And some churches are believing it, and we are here to wreck his shop. We're here to bring an end to that. We're here to silence that voice of shame and show people the freedom that's found in Jesus Christ, that they might have and understand their new identity in him. They don't have to walk in that pressure and shame anymore. So this is what we're committed to. We believe it's time to free the captives of this. Mm -hmm. We believe it's time for people to come home to the Lord in this. It's time for people to come home to the church and find life in all of this and find new motivation. It has nothing to do with shame. Absolutely, yeah. And for those of you who are watching this and and are walking or have walked in in shame-based Christianity, first thing I want to say, 
uh, is that you don't have to deconstruct your life. You don't have to deconstruct faith. You don't have to walk away from the church. Uh, I would recommend watching our Church Hurt podcast. It came out just a few weeks uh, a few weeks ago. Um, we shouldn't deconstruct from all those things, but we should be motivated to disentangle or to yeah. uh, weed out the fears and the guilts and the pressures and mm-hmm. the shame mm-hmm. and find out what is the truth. What has God said more than what has some person said that God is saying to me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we don't have to, and you don't have to turn your uh, turn to your fleshly urges just to search for any meaning yeah. or to search to uh, numb what's going on or to yeah. search for worth, but all that is found within Christ, right? Yeah, right. Uh, there is a Savior who meets you in the same way that he met the woman that was caught in the act of adultery who was shamed by the religious leaders of the day. Jesus met that woman yeah. and dealt graciously with her, yeah. right? In fact, he said, um, where are those who condemned you after he had dealt with them? And they had walked away, and um, she noticed they were gone. And he said, neither do I come here to condemn you. Yeah. Hey, that, that's the message that Jesus yes. has for us today. So good. Yes. Mm. Again, rebuild your faith around the picture of that Jesus and yeah. of who Jesus is. Yep. Know that you can have greater life, hope, freedom, and faith all awaken in you. Right. And know that you can be free from what enslaves you as well. It's It's not... It's not in more shame. It's not in trying to do better, but it's in knowing who you are in Jesus. Again, you get the passage from Galatians 5, 16. It says this, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Yeah. He didn't say walk in shame and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Yeah. He didn't say that. No. He said walk in the spirit of who you are of who you are in Christ. Walk in that, the Holy Spirit. Walk in the power of knowing who you are. That is what gives you power to not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Yep. If you're trying to shame yourself, uh, condemn yourself, beat yourself up enough, you'll never get there. Absolutely. Hmm. And again, if you are walking in that, or if you have walked in that, you you need to find a church that teaches this message. Again, if you're in the, we're in Ovilla, Texas, which is in the DFW Metroplex. So if you are in the DFW Metroplex at all, we've got people that drive an hour from the north, yeah. an hour from the south to yeah. come here. So come check out our church. But if you're not in the area, you know, find a church, ask pastors around you if mm-hmm. what they believe on this topic and how they uh, deal with shame-based Christianity or if they have walked in that before, right. have those conversations and get connected in a local church. And, yeah. you know, we want to hear your story. So again, you can reach out to us through email, through Facebook Messenger, all that stuff. Comment down below. Uh, we would love to hear your story and help you in finding freedom. Yeah. This is what... Uh fuels us yeah. uh, with the ministry that we have and who we are in our lives. Yeah. Uh, this is not just uh, church talk. This is, this is life talk. And this is what drives us uh, to our mission to lift him up and live him out. Not, not because of shame, but because of the desire and the delight of who we have yeah. been made in Jesus. And yeah. that's our message. Come, come listen, come be a part as we hear what Jesus has done for us. And it's our prayer that you'd find that kind of freedom from shame, find life in the gospel and the freedom of Jesus. I think what it will do for you, it'll cause you to want to do the very same thing, to lift him up and truly lift him out out of genuine, sincere, sincere desire. Yeah. So uh, I appreciate your time today. Pray the message has been good for you as it has been for us. 